Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Hi, I'm Phil Hughes. And I'm Jen Doherty. We're the creators of The Workshop Presents. And you're listening to Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show Season 3, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. We're going to go ahead and talk about movies, TV, and read some fiction. If you want to get hold of the show, you can go ahead and go to Facebook.com, Aaron's Horror Show, or you can go to Twitter.com, Aaron Horror Show, or you can go ahead and send us an email at Aaron's Horror Show at gmail.com. Uh, you can also go ahead and support the show by going to Patreon.com forward slash Aaron Frail. Thank you so much for listening, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. Alright, we have more Touristicu Chronicles for you, so we're going to go ahead and continue on with Cal's Truth. But before I start, I want to go ahead and tell you about that dream that uh, created this entire series. You know, it was a, it was basically that whole foundry scene, you know, uh, in what, the last episode, of course, that was featuring this book, that whole scene even with the two creatures kind of fighting each other like you know i wasn't in the dream i but i was kind of the point of view of a you know human-sized person kind of watching these two titans battle for each other and kind of scrambling between their feet so i don't get squished and and yeah like i said it wasn't me i don't know who it was in the dream but it wasn't you know i knew it wasn't me i knew it was just some character and then a lot of the other creatures that were cheering the battle and and all that kind of stuff were were ones that I described already, like ones that kind of appeared in the dream. So this whole sequence, uh, this whole prison was just part of this dream. And uh, you know, once I dreamt of the alien kind of sci-fi prison, I I woke up that morning and I just you know I I had my computer luckily right next to my bed, you know, because at at the time. We were living, my wife and I were actually living at my parents' house. We had this brief, like, six months that I lived with my mom and dad because we had sold our house in New Mexico and we were moving to the Twin Cities. Uh, you know, my wife got into a PhD program. And so, you know, we were <laughs> in this really small space because we had a room to ourselves, you know, before I had kids. So it was easy to just, you know, be me and my wife. And, and, uh, we, <clears throat> lived there and I had my computer right there and I just picked it up and started writing and, and got as much as I could remember in the dream. I just like squeezed out as much information from my head because it was just so vivid. It was just like so intense and vivid, this alien prison. And, and I, you know, the, the rocks and the, the ore processing and the big cauldron and all that was all part of the dream. And so, you know, eventually I, <laughs> the, the plot came, kind of came next. I, I kind of, you know, didn't do much with that dream for a while. You know, I, I just decided that, uh, 
you know, I had to do something <laughs> with it. Uh, but then I realized that I really want to write the story, whatever this is. And, you know, this was, a, you know, I, I had this dream, of course, in my parents' house right before we moved to the Twin Cities. And then finally we do move and, and I'm there and I'm like, I really want to <laughs> write this down and make this thing happen. And at, at the time I was watching, uh, this show called Dark Matter, which is, a uh, no longer a show, but it, it was a, it was a good show. It was on sci-fi and it was about the, the closest, you know, one, one could get to having new Star Trek at the time that it was out. Obviously there's <laughs> like new Star Trek now there's Discovery and Picard and I hear they're doing a Captain Pike thing and, you know, so <laughs> at the time there's no new Star Trek and I, I, you know, I'd seen, I'd seen it all at that point. Like literally I'd seen every single Star Trek ever made every episode, <laughs> you know, so oh, dark matter, it comes in and get to <laughs> watch some kind of space opera sci-fi. And so, you know, I had this dream and then I had, you know, this <laughs> dark matter came on and it just suddenly was like, Ooh, space pirates are so cool. I want to do space pirates, you know? And, and, and so here, here I got, uh, this, I, you know, idea for this entire series, you know, with, with sort of thinking about this dream and then, you know, sort of being inspired by the show dark matter. And then, you know, Star Trek, obviously there's a whole lot of Star Trek in this. Uh, and, and then everything just kind of fell into place. And what's really interesting about this is this is my longest running writing project. I mean, I literally wrote story eight a couple months ago, uh, around, you know, May, June, I believe I was, it was after I had, uh, finished tuners and I was just waiting for the tuner series to come back from the editor. And there, there's a time when I finish writing something and, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I give it off to an editor and it takes maybe a month or, or something like that to get it back, especially when it's like three books. And, <laughs> you know, I was just like, man, I really have nothing to do. I got to do something. So, oh yeah, I'll write story eight, you know, and that's how all the stories have been written. I've just, you know, you know, oh, you know, not doing any writing projects now. I got to get another story of this one out because this is, this is, you know, a, a long running project. And it's also given me a lot of time to think about what's the next step in the story. So it's very methodically <laughs> plotted out, which is kind of unusual for me. I, I have a tendency to just kind of let the narrative, uh, take me on a journey. I have a tendency to kind of, you know, I generally know where the story is going <laughs> when I first start, but not really not enough to, to, uh, you know, write like some people outline an entire story and I'm, I'm more of a get in the driver's seat and let's see where we go <laughs> type of person. And then this series is a little bit different because, you know, I got a lot, I have a lot of time to think between stories, but now I'm, I'm trying to get one story out per year, but man, this part eight is, is I'm, I'm in love with part eight that, that there's something about that particular story that just hit on all sorts of levels. And, and, you know, <laughs> from the people that have read it, they're like, man, this is like the best thing you've ever written. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, well, man, it's part eight of a series. So people have to get through seven of them to get the best thing I've ever written. Darn. Well, anyways, you're, you're hearing it now. So, you know, if you are liking the Trista Q Chronicles, you know, tell a friend about it. Uh, either tell them to listen to this podcast or read it on, uh, Amazon. 
uh, you know, the, the cool thing is, is, uh, having this podcast version of it and also having the story means that anyone can enjoy it. Right. I had a, a friend who, you know, he never <laughs> reads books. He just does audiobooks, and his sister never does audiobooks, just reads books, but him and his sister exchange books all the time. Right. So, so that's the cool age we live in where if you just listen, then great. Tell, tell your friends that read cause it's out there for reading too. Uh, you know, uh, not just listening and yeah, you know, if, if there's one thing that I'd love to see into, you know, a movie or TV series or <laughs> something, it's, it's this one that I'm reading now. This is, this is my baby. <laughs> Anyways, I've, I've rambled on enough. Let me go ahead and continue with the story. Uh, so yeah, Cal, uh, sees the guy who murdered her village and, and, <laughs> you know, causes a distraction in the prison to go up and meet him. So let's see how that turns out for her. She made it to the top level. The only touristic you left was the one with different tattoos. She recognized him immediately as the one who ordered the execution of her village. She would never forget his tattoos and rank insignia. Cal roared with hatred and rushed towards him. He was just turning when she crashed into him, sending them both sprawling to the ground. She pounded her fists into his chest with little impact. His skin was made of metal, and she ended up bloodying her hands. The Turisticu grabbed her neck and squeezed to the point that her breath grew short. She struggled against his grasp, but it was no use. He stood up and held her thrashing form over the railing. She looked into the deep abyss of his eyes and saw nothing. Ah, the girl from the Nick village. I knew there was something special about you. Most Nigs run from conflict. You seek it out. He tossed her to the floor and stepped on her chest. She was determined not to cry out from the pain. The rough sports of her earth brothers and sisters trained her to endure pain. But this was almost too much. She could feel herself about to pass out from the pressure on her chest. What's your name? The touristic you said. Calda, I don't need to know your life story. Cal will suffice. I guess you should know mine. Captain Makiwarnek. Now, so we're clear, Cal. If you attack me again, I will end your pitiful life right then and there. But as it stands, I need you. You see, there's a prisoner who used to work for Sarge, and I think this prisoner will be an invaluable for insight in regards to capturing Sarge. You may have a better chance of getting information than I will. Makiarnek let up pressure on her chest. Why should I help you? She could barely wheeze between gasps. I think we both have mutual interest in capturing Sarge. After all, it was his betrayal that put you here. Cal held her tongue. She had mixed feelings about Sarge. She wanted to know why he gave her the tracking device. Surely he knew what the Touristicus would do when they caught her with it. Still, she couldn't help but think that maybe something went wrong. Perhaps he had thought he had deactivated the tracking device and it would have fetched a large sum of money on the black market. Mackie Arnack had no excuse. He was a vicious terrorist, unworthy of pity or love. Had their situation been reversed, and if Cal had been the one with the metal skin, Mackie Arnack, a flesh-and-blood creature, she would have snapped his neck a long time ago. There's a boy who works in the kitchen. The human? Mackie Arnack laughed. <laughs> human? <laughs> Only a nig. <laughs> yes, he was under Sarge's command. Show him this symbol. I found it in your possessions, and I know Sarge gave it to you. Mackie Arnack pulled out the patch from her father's uniform. 
He let up pressure on her chest and she coughed. He tossed the patch onto her as she fought back tears. She couldn't let Makiorinek know the patch was more to her than just a trinket from Sarge. What will I say to him? Let him do the talking. I'll be back in six months. If I do not have Sarge, I'll come looking for you, and I won't be as friendly. Come, take my hand. Cal hesitated. Unless you want to be discovered up here and suffer punishment worse than anything I could devise... Cal grabbed his hand. He activated a floating disc and brought her to the ground level. He activated a floating disc and brought her to the ground level. The chaos she created earlier was just getting wrapped up as Makiarnik dropped her off behind some unattended machinery. She slipped into the gawking crowd and watched the guards cart the Orkandu away. Granork locked eyes with her and snarled. The guards shocked the Orkandu and pushed him forward. Cal resolved to go along with Makiarnik's plan. However, the next time she saw him, she planned to have the advantage. A few weeks later, Cal made a point to make herself scarce during free time. She knew the Orkandu was coming out of solitary and would be seething, so she decided to wander a network of passages in the prisoner level. The prisoners had little restriction on their levels because there wasn't any place to go as they were on a space station. The Touristicu levels were only accessible by floating disc, so the guards were there less to prevent escape and more to maintain order. Most prisoners played sports and these light-based things called video games during free time. Some would use free time to enhance their physical bodies with exercise equipment. After the meeting with Mekiarnek, she attempted to find the human during free time but wasn't able to. She hadn't been able to say more than a few words to him in the cafeteria. She attempted to get cafeteria duty herself, but the Tristico guards only laughed at her. She was pulled from her thoughts when she noticed the word library over a set of doors. The library only had a handful of prisoners and a single guard on the grate above. The Tristicus always patrolled above the population and only came down to break up fights. Cal felt a certain ease she had not felt when she arrived at the prison. Grand Orc would not come here looking for her. The library was fairly sizable and had workstations with limited access computers, reading chairs, and many shelves of books. The librarian, a multi-tentacle being with no discernible eyes, said e-readers were forbidden because of the potential for misuse, and the computers weren't networked, so don't bother trying. Cal wasn't even sure what an e-reader or a computer was, so his warning meant nothing to her. She was amazed at the volume of books, containing shelf after shelf of knowledge. Her village only possessed a handful of books, most of which had been left behind by Cal's father. Her mother taught Cal to read. Each of the books contained wild adventures in distant lands. Cal often fantasized about going on adventures in the books. Most of the villagers didn't share Cal's wanderlust. They focused on the present and did not dwell on the past or think about the future. Cal? Siular said. Siular had rounded the corner and took her by surprise. No reason to be embarrassed. I like erotica too. Helps with the lonely nights, if you know what I mean. He grinned. Cal looked at her books in her section. They were mostly mating rituals and featured muscled human males on the cover. I was here to read up on the Touristicus, she said, her face flushed. You probably want military history section, but there won't be any useful information there. She crossed the library and began to scour the shelves for any book that could help. She needed to find their weakness so she could exploit it. The next time she met Makiarnek, she wanted to have the upper hand. 
She wanted to make him feel like she did. Cal felt her village slipping away from her. The village elder would always talk about weakness as an opportunity to hold a person up when they couldn't walk, be their eyes when they couldn't see, or in Cal's face, do their work when they couldn't lift. Cal always felt that weakness was something to overcome, and if she couldn't lift heavy stones like her earth brothers and sisters, she should find a way to get it done. But now she was taking a step further. Rather than treat weakness as a barrier to overcome, she was actively seeking a way to exploit it in others. It's one thing to teach the blind Earth brothers and sisters to walk on their own. It's something completely different to take advantage of their disability. While Makiarnek earned her hate, she wasn't sure how far she could go. She could justify to herself that she would never murder a village, but how many lines would she be willing to cross and just how far would she go? She had to remember that regardless of what happened, she could never sink to Makiarnek's level. She owed it to her village to have a higher standard. However, finding the weakness of the Turisticus would only level the playing field. She would never defeat Markyarnik if she didn't find something. Finding even a mention of the Turisticus was a task in its own. There were some books with whole sections deleted from the text. The book would say, This section intentionally left blank. Ordinance 352.116 and after some blank pages, the book would continue. She could only conclude that the Tristicus wanted to remain mysterious and unknown. She approached the librarian. It was putting away books with multiple tentacles. Cal wasn't quite sure it knew she was coming because she wasn't quite sure how it could see. The being spoke to her before she could even formulate her question. Due to my unique physiology, I am well suited for maintaining the library, keeping me out of the refinery. For which I am grateful, you will learn that some prison jobs are better than others. Once you have one of the good ones, you be sure to do it well, because they can always use more workers in the refinery. I wasn't asking about a job, Cal said. The bean continued to put books away, pushing the cart down the aisles. You will eventually after you get the cough. All refinery workers have it. My body soaks up toxins. I wouldn't last a day out there. Cal felt the burn in her throat already. The refinery was taking its toll on her, but she endured and carried on through the pain. I, I wanted to find out more information about the Turisticus. The bean stopped putting away books. Three of the tentacles pushed her out the exit. Out! Get out! Certain knowledge is forbidden! Out! 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 The bean shuffled her out the door of the library and slammed it shut. The Turisticus controlled every part of prison life, and the inmates were afraid. Had she trained herself to face her fears too well? She resolved to come back and try a different approach. Hopefully the librarian will forgive her transition and let her back in at some point. Cal turned down the corridor when she ran into Grenork. She only stood as high as his waist, and he was much more intimidating when she lacked proper escape route options. She stalled to think of a plan. Did you have fun in solitary? They tortured me. All right. Well, that is uh, Cal's uh, Truth, Part 2. Uh, so uh, <laughs> come back next week for more of Cal's Truth. Thank you uh, so much for listening. And the next time you go into the erotica section of a library, uh, it's okay. Aliens do it too.
<laughs> I mean, everyone has to, right? That's, I mean, not everyone has to. It's just like the species must go on, right? So somebody out there has to because the species must go on. Anyways, have a good night. <laughs>